It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've reached the end of another fine week here in the Republic and we haven't got into too much trouble. We've managed to solve quite a few problems uh, of various uh, merits over the course of the, the last few days. We've been talking this morning about the problem in a particular school in Birmingham where the teachers are so frightened of going to work they've actually gone out on strike uh, because they've, they've got a risk of being stabbed. Uh, nobody does anything that they're told. The uh, attendance rates are terrible. It's in a very bad part of Birmingham and nobody really knows how on earth they're going to fix the problem. Come Coming up, uh, we're going to find out why Britain is a nation of moaners. Apparently, the average Briton spends 10,000 minutes a year complaining. Now, I haven't worked out on my uh, rudimentary mathematics exactly how many hours that is, but I've got a man here called David Spencer who will no doubt tell me, uh, and he's not renowned for moaning an awful lot more than that. Uh, 10,000 minutes a week, how about 10,000 minutes a day, perhaps, for him? Uh, or 10,000 minutes a year. If you've got something you want to moan about, you can call us and moan about it. 0344 499 1000. Also coming up, we'll have the Perrier Award and we're talking to James Townsend, who's the director of a pub where they ban children from wandering around inside. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea to me. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I suppose there are times when you read a story and you think, nah, that can't possibly be true. Uh, it couldn't possibly be right, could it, that four in ten people complain about the amount of complaining done by other people? Uh, millennial <laughs> moans apparently are about a lack of sleep, trouble at work and bad service. Usually also they moan about how, I can't get to Glastonbury this year because I'm going to work <laughs> instead. Or uh, the other thing that they moan about is that we can't buy a house and you promised we'd have a better life than you did. Uh, David Spencer is here, the head of news here at uh, Talk Radio. Now... Um, I presume that's the right way of describing you, or have you got a moan about that as well? No, I'm perfectly happy with that. Happy I, with Head of I, News? Lots of other moans, but that's not one of them. Excellent. Now, you're not particularly a moany ton of person, are you? I mean, you're quite cheerful, generally speaking, when I see you. Uh, yeah, that's true. That is my demeanour generally, but underneath there's always the true British thing of finding lots of ridiculous things to moan about. I think this is one of those stories where initially, I know you sort of say about the, the amount of time, um, we have an expression in news, lots of people say, where well, it's not a surprise, there's a bit of a no-S Sherlock story. 
Oh, yes. And when I heard that this morning, I was thinking, yes, we're a, a nation of moaners. Now, there's a big surprise, but it's, it's made it into the news in terms of the stats that mm. are underneath it. The first thing you said about the, the amount of minutes and sort of therefore hours and how much time each year we spend moaning. 10,000 minutes a year, right? Yeah, exactly. I want to know if part of that is also when you're on chats uh-huh. because there is a habit in workplaces, you know, where you can have your sort of uh, hangout, group chats, whatever. WhatsApp, there are group right. chats. I know from my wife works in the NHS that so they have group chats. Uh-huh. There's an awful lot of moaning that goes on there too. Right. Is that included in this survey? Well, that's because- an interesting point. I mean, because I presume that what they're talking about is purely verbal moaning. Exactly. Uh, which is actually the stuff that comes out of your mouth rather than what you type. Because <laughs> otherwise it might be a lot higher. Uh, exactly. Well, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I know for sure that uh, my wife can certainly verbal moan and also text moan at the same time because yes. we know the multitasking. And I suppose if you could verbally moan about something while uh, sort of technically and literally writing something else completely different, <laughs> exactly. which is also a moan, yeah. that would be amazing. But do you not find that the class of uh, people that we work with and, and that we kind of live with it's definitely you can you could easily kind of break it down into the people that moan about absolutely everything people that find something wrong in almost anything that they're doing who are quite negative individuals yeah and you've got those people i there, there was a, a guy i used to work with where um every day he'd say how are you yeah and and sort of just carry on walking and i right. think well you don't actually care do you no. just sort of said how and i think that's most people's kind yeah. of but i think we all work with people where you go we're not going to ask them yes how they are because it's going to lead to a, a longer conversation yes. that we all mean to happen. I really. had a great one of those the other week, actually, which you'll like, I think. I was in, uh, I went out to buy, to do some shopping at the weekend. It, was, it wasn't a major shop, it was just I had to get a couple of little things, right? And of course, what happened was I went out and realised I'd gone out without my wallet, which is what you occasionally do, yep, right? happens. Now, I went to a, a little farm shop and I thought, well, I, I wonder if they'll take an Apple Pay scenario, because I had my phone. And they did. They took the Apple Pay, but they didn't have they everything did. I wanted, right? Oh. So I thought, all right, so the other things I'll go and get from another another uh, particular supermarket in the town. Went there, got all the stuff, uh, was about to pay for it, and they said, I said, you take Apple Pay? Oh, yes, yeah, we do. And then I, I tried to, it wasn't working. I said, what's the problem? They said, oh, it's not an American Express card, is it? I said, yes, it is. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't take American Express. And I said, well, in that case, you just have to put all that stuff back on the shelves. And I walked out. I then went to another supermarket, which is in a garage in the town, and I was able to get some of the stuff that I wanted, but not all. Still not complete, are you? Still not complete. But the big mistake that happened was that as I was checking the stuff out and and paying for it, the guy said to me, how's your day going? (laughs) (laughs) And he really regretted that? I said, well, I'll tell you how my day's going. I said, I'm not very happy because I've come to your shop where you don't have all the things that I want to buy. (laughs) But I've just been in a shop where they did have all the things that I wanted to buy, but they didn't take my credit card because I came out just with my phone. That's how my day's going. (laughs) And he went, oh, I'm very sorry. I said, well, it's not really your fault. He did ask me. He said, yes, well, I hope your day gets better. Um, gave so you the invitation for that response. And, I, I, and I'm the same as you. If, if somebody, if I say to somebody, how are you? And they start actually telling me, especially if it's a long they've story. They've gone beyond the remit. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep walking. That wasn't the agreement. That's, yeah, that's not what I want. So not surprisingly, top of the, the UK moans is the weather. Yes. At 34%. Now, as you say, I don't tend to moan. That's very nice of you to say. But I have been moaning today when people have said, morning, David, how are you? Yes. My response has been, I'm fine, except I managed to spend a week in Mallorca and not get sunburned ah. and looked after myself, Mrs Spencer, making sure she applied all the right cream, especially to yep. an area on top of my head. Yes. Spent an hour in Newbury yesterday in West Berkshire yeah. and I'm in great pain today from <laughs> getting sunburned. So today I well, am moaning you, about the weather. Yeah, you don't expect it. I've got one here from Lynn who says, I don't know where all this hot weather is. I'm in Yorkshire and it's pretty cool here. Uh, you're reporting on the 
south as usual. No, I'm not, Lynn. I'm telling you that tomorrow morning the temperature is supposed to be going to be 34 degrees. I'm not reporting on the south. I'm telling you what the weather people are saying. So stop moaning, Lynn, for heaven's sake. And in the time of moaning, going back to that, what do they include? The, mm. the firm that has done this research, what platforms, vocal kind of moaning, yeah. we presume, but also, I mean, Twitter is full of it, isn't it? It's like oh. a Twitter row happens from just kind of saying what the temperature mm. is going to be tomorrow. Well, I mean, Twitter's unbelievable. I mean, when I first used to be on it, I was always amazed at what sorts of comments people would make. I mean, for example, you'd put out a picture of, you know, somebody sitting in the garden and somebody would go, oh, it's about time you did your weeds, mate. And you'd go, <laughs> what do you care? There's a couple of weeds growing in my garden, so what? You know, my sister actually put a picture out of my mother in Connecticut and some eagle-eyed person spotted that on the bottom left of the picture behind my mother's chair was a dead squirrel with its <laughs> legs in the air, stuck. It was incredible. I was like, how would you even see that? And they quite, they circled it and, like... Picked it up. Uh, picked it up and went, why is the dead squirrel in the picture? I'm in danger of making this a bit London. Sorry to those that moan. Lynn, in Lynn. we'll apologise in advance. That. Feel free to have a moan about it if you want. One of the things I moan about travelling around London, you mentioned about Apple Pay. Yeah. People that have their train tickets on their phone yeah. and go up to the barriers and then spend about 20 minutes... Trying to get through. ...holding the phone yeah. at the right angles to yeah. get everything. I think just... I'll tell you what, just have either an Oyster card or yeah. your credit card. I've got pays. that problem, but I, I can uh, say categorically that I don't have a problem with the phone, but I, when I use a credit card, there is one particular credit card that I use on the bus, which for some reason will sometimes work and other times not. You know, it's, it would be better if it didn't work at all, then I wouldn't <laughs> use it. But because I want to use this particular card, it'll sometimes go beep, red, beep, red, beep, green. And you don't know how many times it's going to go red or green. And, and with the moaning survey, the tutometer, when that happens, how does that go? Someone's behind you, because that's what I do. Yeah. When someone's in front of me, their phone's not working on the ticket barrier, yeah. like, tut. A bit, a bit of a louder tut, and then it becomes a huff. Yes. You know, you're kind of... And then it, before you know it, it could become an FFS if you're not careful. Yes, and that so, is very easily done. And it done. escalates to similar, that. Similar to the people who are airports who wait until they're actually standing in front of the, um, you know, the, the, the tray that they're supposed to put their stuff in, and only then do they start looking through their pockets. It's not a surprise right. that they're going to ask You've you to enter your pockets. You've been in a queue for 15 minutes, right? You could have had all this, you could have taken your jacket off, you could have taken your shoes off, you could have taken your iPad <laughs> out prepared. of the case. Exactly. But instead you're doing it now. Yeah. It really is annoying. Now, we'll take calls on this as well, 0344 499 because the other thing that people will say, and I don't know if it's in this particular um, article, uh, is that, you know, your other half will moan about things all the time which I only took, I learned very late in life that apparently women only moan at you because they want to tell you that they're not happy. They don't expect you to fix the problem. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, this is what I've only just learned. So you don't have well, to I'm worry about... Well, you've shared that, that yeah. today. That's, that's you, yeah, quite a revelation. Apparently all they want to do is moan. They just want to moan and tell you they're not happy, but they don't expect you to fix it. Fine. Well, that means. Well, that they don't expect me to fix it anyway. <laughs> I don't know whether that's just me. <laughs> I, I, I always joke that I have to sometimes put my uh, wife on pause when she's giving me the update pause? from the day because I'm like I can't keep up with the pace yes. of, of this sort of level of moan and update, mm. and I'm just like, can you just let my brain catch up with what all this data that you're yes. providing from from but the day? But at what point does the data download become a moan? <laughs> How do you know it's a moan? Well, there's a level. I think there's initially a sort of shared. This has been my day, and quite a lot of that. Yeah is a moan. Right. Uh, and, you know, the percentage is probably about 80 to 20%, where mm. the 80% is okay. the moan, which I think is, as today's stats have proved, we like it. And and maybe it's just that a sort of attention. So the person who stops and when you ask them how how they are mm. and they give you more details than we actually wanted, yes. they're just 
need a bit of attention. But you know that in the work scenario as well, because you run a department of people, right, you know that there are some people in that department, without wishing to cast any aspersions on individuals... I'm going to be available um, for no comment shortly, yeah, aren't I? Who, uh, who will make more of a moan than others. You know, some people at work are very happy, it doesn't matter what's going on. Other people are moaning all the time. You know, the chair's too small... You know, I've got the light shining. You've seen the, wrong the latest way. email. Yeah, the light shining the wrong way, or you know, the, I don't, I don't like what's going on over there. It's that person's making too much noise. You know what I mean? Well, Some the, people just can't live and let live. The temperature in the room is the big thing. Ah, yes. And in office spaces, that's it. Aircon too cold, too hot. Isn't there an issue with men and women in that one, where women prefer it colder than men or something? I can't remember. Which I way think there is, is, but also I, I know that there's someone in the sort of technical department in engineering that works here that says if you've got someone working about sort of ten feet away, it's it's too hot, and then someone tempted yeah. away from them says it's too cold. He said mm. that means the aircon's working perfectly. Yes, because <laughs> you've got the two people okay. moaning. Uh, whereas... What about in a car? What, what, where are you on car etiquette? Well, like, I know on on, uh, on air conditioning in a car. Well, firstly, uh, I can't cope with any uh, odd numbers or point fives on my air conditioned temperatures <laughs> in my car. But I question whether when my wife makes hers colder because at a certain age you need cooler temperatures. Yeah. I've, I've now know um, not right? to joke about the menopause and things like that. No, you mustn't so, ever and do hot that. Flushes. No, that's definitely not a joking. <laughs> No, it definitely not. That's my advice for anyone out there. And when I'm at 25, one side of the mm. car, and she's at 16, right. super cool on the other side, I just think there's a thunderstorm about to happen over the handbrake yes. area. You are people listening make... to this, you know, who don't actually have separate air conditioning. Their uh... life is better. Well, it probably is. Because <laughs> it's a lot simpler. Yeah, yeah. But does it actually make a difference? Yeah, we do have little discussions about, well, don't adjust it too low right. because it's going to cause some sort of fog. And what about between. the whining of children? Because, uh, you know, we now know that children are much more likely to make a moaning uh, a profession for themselves than than we used to. I mean, I, I literally would, you know, in the, I say to people, in the 70s, we had nothing. We grew up with nothing. We expected nothing. Literally if we nothing. got anything at all, uh, it was considered to be a great day. A soda stream arrived in about 1977, yeah. Yeah. and I was happy for 10 years. Exactly. Yeah, that, was, that was all we yeah. had. Yeah. I had one of those little cassette players uh, I bought uh, for about 20 quid, which was a lot Might of money to at explain the time. Cassettes it was a well. Sony cassette, cassette player, right? Flash. And it was fantastic. You could record yourself singing into it, right? <laughs> you could record Radio 1, uh, which I think was just about called Radio 1 in those days. And, you know, it, it seemed like your entire world was in this tiny little box and you bought a, p a piece of plastic with a tape in it. You stuck it in. If you don't know what, what I'm talking about, sorry for you. Um, <laughs> and you could also erase it any time you wanted and re-record something else over it. And we were happy with that. We were. Now, you, I mean, I don't... What I'm surprised on this list of sort of top 15 moans, there's no children on there, yeah, and no cyclists. Cyclists, now that's the story. So public half. transport is on this list, um, but not featuring cyclists mm. was, was actually a bit of a surprise to me. They've also broken down the areas of the UK that most moan. I'm always slightly sceptical about how this yeah. works and sort of the and percentage. Where, where do they moan the most? Plymouth. Oh, it's not Nantwich then, because <laughs> we've got a guy on from Nantwich called Craig. He's about to moan. Uh, I think so. Craig, a very good afternoon to you. Yeah, how are you doing, yeah, very, Yeah, very well. Have you got a moan for us? Yeah, well, well, it was, a, it was a particular circumstance. I was on my way back from Faro to Manchester the other week. Oh yeah. And there was a there was a full French family in front of me, and uh, they they were clearly late for the flight, so uh, they hadn't bothered checking in the <laughs> proper cases. Right. They'd got the whole lot, not not just hand luggage, the whole suitcases at the security X-ray bit. Right. And. Uh, they were they were put just putting everything in, and then when the security guys were were pulling them up and saying, you can't do this. They were going absolutely crazy, <laughs> screaming and shouting at us. One of the cases could only just fit through the thing on its own without being in a tray. Right. 
and then it had gone through, and then they opened the security people said, no, that's no good. They opened the case up. They must have had 20 bottles of spirits and beer and all sorts <laughs> in it. And I said to the, the woman next to me, have these never been on a flight before? No, obviously said, not. Obviously not, you know. <laughs> and right, I mean, I'm also now curious about, about a French family travelling from Faro to Manchester. Do you think they got on the wrong plane? Well, yeah. Well, actually, actually, I don't know if they're going to Manchester. Oh, right, I was okay. going to Manchester, but that day was they could have been going anywhere. Couldn't How they? funny! Now, that is dance, that is funny because also in, you're right because in, in Europe people have different sort of etiquette when it comes to moaning and groaning, don't they? The French oh, they, they love to mad. moan. There was, a, there was a woman with the baby in her arms, screaming and shouting at the security guy, right. and uh, the baby was crying, and she was just screaming at him, and the guy's like shrugging. What? What was he supposed to do? Yeah. Oh, I know. He's got everything, and the stuff was going in, back back in through it again, stopped again, back through it again. It was just unbelievable. Oh, incredible. Great story, though, Craig. Thank you very much indeed. It's true, isn't it, David, that you get this different level of complaining. Um, in America, it's the same as well. People yeah. will come, once they go, they've, they've gone. You yeah, know? exactly. And actually, there's something to be admired about that. Mm. I remember I've been in different situations around the world. The, the queuing thing, which is also on the list, we moan about queuing, yeah. and we have a certain kind of etiquette with that. And in different parts of the world, people do it in a very different way. So right. you kind of get this crowd come up. Mm. Uh, there are parts of Europe, I think, where someone sort of puts their, their hand up, they know they're the next one, and there's right. sort of that, as opposed to a line. Yes. Because we like a good line. We do. Yeah. Um, but I also, that, just, uh, that, that story about hand and hold luggage that is where I do moan mm. because when you're getting on a flight and you get the chance you say well would you like to check in all your luggage no thank you very much because it's going to cost you more yeah. and then you actually get to check in and then they go all of those people that have got quite large cases you can now put them in the hole for free yeah. so you've got a whole bunch of people who've had to pay and those that couldn't be bothered yes. have actually got through and they're going to cause a bit more of a problem and fill all of the hold above your head they the world is free. a very unfair it's place. It's unfair, and I, mean, I would moan at that. Yeah, absolutely right. The other thing about complaining as well is that the opposite of of, uh, of the of the side of the coin is true, where you've got people sitting around a restaurant table all moaning about the food that they've got, and then somebody comes and goes, are you enjoying your food? Oh, yes, thank you. It's very nice. Thank you very much indeed. And none of them ever want to say anything. I'm not like that anymore, because I lived, having lived in America, I just actually will complain about something that's not right. And do you think that that is the difference you said about America? I remember once on a sort of internal flight, going from LA to, yeah. to New York, and the, they, they reduced the, the plane changed to be a smaller plane, uh -huh. so we didn't have a seat. Right. And I went into, well, there's not a lot we can do. Yeah. And my wife went into full, like, well, this is totally unacceptable. Right. That's our quote, totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. She, she, good. All right. And we actually managed to get on a plane. Mm. I would have still been sat there for four or five hours because mm. I do the slightly British thing. That's like the restaurant thing. Yeah. Yeah, how's your food? It's fine. It's not really your fault. Yeah, exactly. I'm so sorry for, yeah. for complaining. But also, I get bored of complaining. So when you have... The other thing on this list is about sort of services and stuff, you mm. know, bad customer service. I think a lot of institutions, a lot of large companies, rely on the fact you get bored. So if you raise a complaint about broadband or yeah. whatever it may be, may be, after about two weeks, you're just like, do you know what? It's the principle that the railway companies use to stop you from actually reclaiming any fare. Absolutely. Because it's make it so difficult. They grind you down. Yeah, that you can't just, be bothered. For the sake exactly. of five quid, you're not going to bother. And I think you shouldn't give in because you should take them and that's how you actually change services. Right. Well, the producer's now moaning that we're going on too long, so we better stop. <laughs> um, but thank you very much indeed. David pleasure Spencer to moan. Uh, doesn't moan very often. Uh, if you've got another moan that you want to share with us or one that you've heard, uh, by all means, give us a call 0344 499 This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, when you read about teachers at an outstanding school going on strike because they're worried that pupils are running amok and becoming more violent than they can possibly ever control, you'd think, 
is this one of those terrible sink estate schools where people uh, are walking around carrying knives, where people don't bother going in when they don't feel like it, where they play truant all the time? No. Apparently this is an Ofsted inspected school which last year got an outstanding status given to it, describing the teaching as impressive and the head teachers as inspirational. Staff are now saying they're too scared to actually go to work. Let's find out what's going on. Paul Nesbitt is here, National Executive Member for Birmingham at the NASUWT. Paul, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. This is a terrible situation and, and, and a surprisingly bad situation given that the school was only recently given such a great sort of Ofsted um, status. Yeah, I mean, obviously when Ofsted came in a year, year and a half ago, the school was in its infancy because it's a growing school. It's, it's one of these new... Uh, primary through to secondary schools. Oh, right, and, okay. and obviously, so it's a new establishment, but obviously if Ofsted were to come in now, what the grade would be, you know, is it, it, up to them. But, you know, from what we're seeing in the school, obviously we've got concerns about, you know, there are incidents of knives being found, which staff are, you know, concerned about their safety. But it's, no, that's just part of a bigger picture of, like, there's a wider issue about behaviour, intimidation, physical threats, uh, and also if, you, if you've seen the, the pupil fights within the school. Um, yes. I mean, is this, is this limited to this? It's presumably not just limited to this particular school. This just happens to have highlighted the case for, for, for the teachers in the area generally. Yeah, I think nationally, I mean, we do an annual survey, and nationally the uh, concern about pupil indiscipline and behaviour is ranked as one of the highest concerns for, for teachers. And, you know, we appreciate that all schools will have pupils that will be causing concern, but the key thing is, is how is that um, behaviour controlled by management? Now, in the Starbank School, obviously some of the policies in place are, in a sense, primary-based policies that they're trying to introduce into secondary, and there's a clear difference between two and older students, and staff are saying, well, there's not enough support, and when they do uh, report things to the SLT, the senior mm. leadership team in the past, they've not been taken seriously. So I've been involved for the last two months, but obviously this has been going on for some time. Um, and hence why we've gone to the authority to ask them to carry out a full safeguarding review so we can actually get the true picture. And then working together, we can try and improve this situation in this school and maybe set a, a model policy for the whole of the authority. Right. And the, the, the teachers have said that what they want is extra training and a behaviour yeah. policy for pupils. So is there no yeah. behaviour policy in any of these schools? No, I mean, obviously all, all schools have got to have a, a behaviour policy. Um, but obviously this one was, you know, inconsistent. And members were saying, well, there's no procedure. You know, if they report it to one person, they get a different response and so on. And obviously part of the, the initial stages, they've introduced this panic button. Well, it's a little like shortcut on the computer. Mm. You're supposed to press that. An email is then sent to a member of SLT who was supposed to come to that room immediately. And members are saying that although it's only been two weeks in operation, it's still not working. And obviously, you know, they want that security of, you know, if they pass on an issue or make uh, someone aware, what's happened to that child? Yeah. Now, on the, on the picket line yesterday, we were speaking to parents who came out in support of us saying, well, we're well, really pleased what we're doing because they need this issue highlighted uh, to make the school aware because their children are being bullied, beaten up. Uh, attacked, etc. in school, and they were concerned uh, for their children. And obviously, as we said, it, this is not just about our teacher members, it's also about the pupils within the school. And we're, we're here, as always, we want to work with the school, we want to work with the council who have got control of the school to say, look, you know, let's get a policy that's fit for purpose, let's get procedures in place, and let's move this forward. I mean, we can't change the past, but obviously, the school still has a duty of care for both staff and, and pupils in the school. Right. 
but when we're hearing that, the, you know, obviously we didn't ask initially because we weren't aware of them, but when some of these pupils have been highlighted that have no risk assessments carried out on them and what to do in those situations, therefore they're not discharging their duty under health and safety to say to our colleagues that if these students in your classroom and this happens, this is what you need to do. So, and, what, and what about the, the, the move from, I presume, was it a primary school before and then became a primary and secondary? Yeah. Um, well, they, uh, this was part of, of a collection of schools and obviously this, this was built on um, in 2016. So, I mean, it, it, it's a big collective school. Um, obviously, I think, you know, the numbers for the primary sector is one of the largest in the countries. But I've, we've visited the primary school. There's, there, there's not a problem there. It's a lovely school. So it's not all bad. I mean, but the trouble is... As, it doesn't uh, sound lovely. Come, I think lovely might not no, no, be quite the no, right no. word. I mean, no, <laughs> no, no, in a sense, the primary sector, the lovely environment, right. I, I mean, but obviously... But then when you go into the secondary, it's the complete opposite right. end of the scale in the sense... But the first time I visited, you look at the building and you think, well, this is an impressive school. But then obviously when you cross the threshold, you see a different uh, side of the school and you think, well, what's gone wrong here? And do you think it is the, the method of, of, of making it into a school which is, which is both rather than just well, single I, I, primary I, I and think, single secondary? I think, I think, yeah, I think, well, it's, it's a new initiative and the authority you know, can do that. But obviously you need the right people in the right place I think, to, to make these decisions. And part of it, as you say, you refer to about training, is, is getting all staff, including management, the appropriate training and support and how to deal with situations like that. And obviously the, the appropriate education through PHSC. Um, and also, you know, recently we've seen that the uh, government has put in some money to the local police to be using, to raise awareness about knife crime. Now, what, my question, will some of that be money be put into schools to promote education about that carrying a knife is a criminal offence, mm. attacking someone's a criminal offence, and so on. You know, so you know, take responsibility for, for your negative actions. And and is it the I, case as well that you've got basically younger kids being bullied by older kids, and the and, and because that wouldn't happen unless there was you know because at the primary school level, obviously people grow out of primary school, move up into yeah. the secondary school. But are the secondary school kids bullying the primary school kids? Well, no, in the sense, I think how the school operates, they have split lunches and split breaks. So, and the majority of the time, the primary school children are kept um, separate to the secondary school. But it's, it's when, obviously, uh, at break time and lunch times when they're out on the, the field to secondary, then, you know, it, it's what sort of control mechanisms are in place. I mean, the school has put mechanisms in, in place. And we, you know, I thank them for that. But is it going enough? I mean, mm. I, I haven't been in the school myself when I'm having meetings. You can hear children running around the corridors, right. out language, and, and, and actually see um, pupils walk away from senior members of staff. So, you know, is it... And is it a case of the, 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 the sort of the catchment, uh, as it were? Because I'm looking at um, one report this morning where it says many of the pupils placed at the school have previously experienced a disrupted education... Uh, it said some have arrived with no experience of formal education and a notable proportion were from refugee families and had suffered severe trauma. Is it, is, is it fair to say that you've got a number of sort of, shall we say, challenging kids at this school? I, I would say in defence that they do, and it's a multicultural area, but obviously I know that the authority have got uh, a wide variety of strategies in place to support those children, but it's obviously how successful those strategies are and more importantly, are the school uh, implementing those strategies? We don't, we don't know that information. Obviously, only the school management know that, but it, the system's in place to, you know, to promote good education for all students that come across um, 
the, the school threshold. But obviously the key thing is, without good uh, discipline and good behaviour, teachers aren't uh, allowed to deliver good quality lessons. It's which our members want to do, but each lesson's been disturbed by an incident and this is what they want to avoid. But they're more, they're not just thinking about themselves, they're also thinking about the quality of education they can give to the children, but more importantly, the safety of other children when they can actually see others, other children attacking or bullying each other. And and what about, and what to... about this pivotal education approach, which is apparently something which tells staff to uh, respect pupils regardless of their yeah. behaviour? Now, this strikes well, me as maybe something that's problematic. The scheme is run by Pivotal Education, yeah. which is a training consultancy uh, in education working across the UK. So this is a private consultancy uh, yeah. with a particular methodology of teaching. Well, as a union, we, we raise concerns about it. I mean, obviously, we've got a survey out at the moment to members and the, some of the uh, initial uh, responses we've got are, are alarming, but obviously we will be reporting that out later. But obviously the idea is that rather than sanction a child with a, a detention, the first thing you try and do is have a restorative conversation where you take them out of the environment or see them at the end of the day to explain what they've done wrong try and trying to rebuild a working relationship with them. Now, in practice, that doesn't happen because they don't even turn up for the restorative talks or they just nod their head and say, OK, and then come into the next lesson and do the exactly the same. Mm. Now, obviously, how many, how many restorative conversations can you have before you need to take action? And obviously, the communication of what is key, important is if that's happening, what communication is going to the parents to inform them of their uh, badly behaved child, yeah. for example? But it's pretty drastic, isn't it, for all the teachers to go out on strike? I mean, I don't know how long the strike is planned for. Was it a one-day thing, or is it going to go on for a while? Well, we got we got one. We had one day yesterday, and we got another day in for the third of July. And obviously, yes, I mean, it's, you know, some people might say drastic, but we felt that we've given the authority and the school the opportunity to to put things to us. But members are saying, well, that you know, we can understand that they put a con, uh, document to us, but where's the procedure? Where's our guarantee of safety? And where's the guarantee of safety for all pupils? Now. You know, we don't like uh, taking strike action, but in this case, we, you know, even though the education of the children on that day is it has to be altered because obviously on the day the school was still fully open mm. and functional. Uh, whether they had enough staff in the school at the time, we're not sure. Yeah. But uh, are we going to see don't... sort of you know security arches being put into schools like they do in America, where you're going to have to go through a metal detector <laughs> well, before I mean, you go I, into school? I, I... I think there have been uh, one or two schools that tried that in Birmingham. It, it, it didn't work when they sent the children queuing up to and it caused more problems. But so, there's got to be some mechanisms if this sort of continues. But obviously, there's alternatives. But it's what funding the schools get and what education, what training the staff get, etc. Uh, but, you know, for example, going back to Starbank, what they've done, um, they've appointed a security guard to uh, roam the corridors during the day, so right. that is a clear indication that obviously everything's not right in the school, and obviously, but again, you know, I've got to appreciate that's a step forward for them. Sure. I mean, because if the, if, the, if, the, if the teachers are frightened to go to school, then some of the, the students must be really scared, and presumably then also not turning up at times. Yeah, again, I mean, the attendance figures of the school, I mean, would indicate that, but obviously, you know, as a parent myself, and most parents, if your child is being bullied or attacked at school, you'd want to see the school doing something about that and some of the parents we spoke to on the on the picket line were saying that they weren't getting the support that they felt they needed for their child to progress in the school mm. now obviously they're individual cases that you know the school as we said you need to speak to the school but we can't support that we can't um, work with her because it's you know of data protection and safeguarding etc but 
it's clear that, you know, there's things that need to be improved. And we're as a unit here to try and support them to move forward. Now, obviously, we're open and we're off waiting to try and set up another meeting before the third to see if we can now move it forward so we can avoid taking the second day of action. Uh, and again, it's just a, the action we've taken to safeguard the well-being of both staff and pupils at the school. Uh, right. And that includes the, the senior management. We're not, we're not on a witch hunt. We're not out to get anyone. We're out just to get the appropriate training, support and policies in place to rectify the current uh, behavioural issues and move forward. OK. Paul, thanks very much indeed. Paul Nesbitt, National Executive Member for Birmingham at the NASUWT. A strike yesterday outside this school uh, because it's so awful uh, that the parents don't feel safe sending their kids there, the students don't feel safe going there, and the teachers don't feel safe actually going into work there either. Mick uh, sent me this. He says, Starbank School in Birmingham uh, is in a terrible area. It's absolutely awful and has been for as long as I can remember, which is 40-plus years. Ask anyone who's from Birmingham who knows the area and you won't find anyone who says it's decent, I'd like to live there. And then he says it's problem parenting. One of the parents quoted in the story I'm looking at says that, you know, everybody knows that there's drug dealers who send their kids to these schools. Father of one boy aged 11 said that he was beaten up. Uh, he was punched and kicked by about 20 other uh, pupils who were much older. I mean, it sounds like a shocking state of affairs. And I don't know who this pivotal education crowd are, but whoever they are, they're clearly not doing a very good job. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I think we know who sent uh, this particular piece of music to the music jukebox. It was obviously Marta, uh, who happens to be Spanish, as some of you may know. Uh, lots and lots of you uh, would like to pick the music for this show. Uh, anyone but Con, basically, would be my choice, because uh, everything he puts on is absolutely awful. Right now, though, we're going to talk about digitisation, because some people have got music collections which are digitally held. Some people have got photographs which are digitally held. Many of you, of course, uh, will have all sorts of things saved in a way which only you can access. And the problem for a lot of people as we're beginning to discover, uh, is basically that if you have... Um, if somebody dies suddenly, uh, you might not be able to access some of the things that you hold digitally. So we're going to talk to Melinda Giles now, uh, who is from the Council and Wills Equity Committee at the Law Society, uh, who's going to explain how some of this has, uh, has come up and how some of it can be fixed. Melinda, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very Thanks much for indeed. Me. Yeah, no, listen, there's quite a few uh, things in this conversation I suppose a lot of people wouldn't have given any thought to because a mm. judge has recently ordered Apple to give a widow access to her late husband's online accounts to recover family photos. But it's been quite a long legal battle and, and I suppose it's not the kind of thing we would have thought about. That's right. And that case was indeed um, groundbreaking. And the judge said in that case that we do need to make the law more flexible and keep up to date and it shouldn't have been 
such a tortuous process mm. for that family. Um, the issue is, of course, is that iCloud that stored the photos is an online storage service as opposed to something that we own. Right. So we own, we own the photographs. We don't own the service that accesses them. Um, and then there's sometimes even the most simplest of problems, how do we open the device on which they're stored? Right. So because there was also, was there not, I mean, I know this is a slightly unrelated case, but there was that long-running case in America as well where somebody was supposedly on, on a charge, which was quite a serious charge, but Apple would not let the, uh, the government, I think, open up the particular iPhone that they wanted to access to see if they could get evidence against him. So what's their legal kind of defence of, of, of not giving permission? Uh, Apple's legal defence? Yeah. Um, well, it will, of course, um, apply dependent to each country as well. So we've also got that problem. But from Apple's point of view, it's who is legitimately entitled to open the device or the account. Right. Is it the executor named in the will? Is there a privacy situation that remains despite the death? So they are in a, a difficult position, mm. to be fair on them. So when you're married, right, it does not normally, does it not necessarily follow that you as the spouse or the surviving spouse would have access to, um, you know, the deceased's property in some ways? Uh, not at all. It will depend on whether you've made a will and what that will says. Um, it will depend on whether within that will you've named that the executor who is the trusted holder, if you like, of your assets when you've passed away has been given the right to access them for your use or right. benefit. Um, there's no, to be quite honest with you, given the different social media platforms, they all operate in different ways. Mm. Facebook have a le legacy contact, for example, but I'm not sure that it's been tested as to whether that would conflict with what somebody's put in their will. Right. And, of course, no doubt much of this is, is set out in all of the terms and conditions that none of us bother to read when we sign up to these uh, various different sort of mobile apps and, and or social media services. That's right. Um, we, I don't think many people will, would have read those. Um, and also many of us would not know whether it conflicts with some other provision that we've made in the event of our death. Right. So a court order has to be obtained, basically, for Apple to transfer accounts to the next of kin, which can cost quite a few quid as well, right? I understand in that case um, that the uh, solicitor very kindly did a lot of the work for free, uh, and it would, of course, have been a test case, so the costs otherwise would have been very high, probably. Right. A court order was required in that case, Perhaps in some other circumstances, a grant of probate might have, might have helped the situation, but mm. I don't think there was one in that case. OK. And so what would you recommend that people do? I mean, presumably, obviously, you would recommend that everybody should have a will. But if you've got, say, for example, uh, a will already, but doesn't, that doesn't include any of this digital um, legacy type stuff, what, what can you do? Uh, arguably, what you could do is put a letter with the will to confirm your wishes, that is to say that the executor and the beneficiary of your will has the similar rights in terms of accessing your digital assets and the ownership of those assets. Mm. That's one way. Um, new wills should be made to accommodate these. It's quite difficult probably to keep them up to date with the changes in the law yeah. um, and, and the changes in the use of social media. And then you've got the practical problems of logins and passwords and how often we change them. Um, ironically, yeah. probably one of the most the safest things to do is to print your photos or put them on a CD. 
Well, to, I mean, funnily I enough, to... I was going to ask, I mean, do you have to be very specific in, in the letter? Say, for example, do you have to say, I grant access to, you know, all of the photographs in my Apple um, I, I, iCloud library, I grant access to all of the music in my Spotify account? I mean, do you have to be specific to each account? That is for sure the safest way to do it right. and uh, combine that with reading the terms and conditions of each social media account. But I don't think many of us would go to that much trouble. Mm. At the moment, very few of us are doing anything at all. Um, so I would say certainly the first step is to keep an up-to-date list of your logins and passwords, both for the accounts and your devices. The difficulty with that is security issues for during your lifetime. Sharing of passwords is not to be recommended and could cause all sorts right. of other problems if they're accessed before you die. Yeah, well, exactly. And for many reasons, perhaps, um, some of them perhaps more nefarious than others, some people don't like having their spouse looking at their private pictures. That's right. And that is a problem that could come about for a situation such as the Apple case, because unless it had been specified that you wanted your spouse to have those photographs, perhaps you actually didn't want mm. them to have them. No, right. Exactly. So, so it's a fascinating area, really, this, and it's one, I suppose, that nobody envisaged, you know, 100 years ago. And I mean, what about things like, I mean, more, more kind of traditional things like bank accounts? If you've, if you've not got a joint bank account and your spouse passes away, presumably you don't get access to that either unless you've got some means of doing so. That's right. Um, traditional bank accounts and other assets are dealt with by wills. If you've named an executor, that is the person to have access to them. If you haven't, then it's on the intestacy, and actually that is usually your spouse. Right. Um, so access to your assets, but thereafter the benefit of, the, of your assets, i.e. inheriting them, are two separate things. Mm. And they should be provided for in a will, to be sure. And presumably you can, in, if you wish to, in your will, you know, sort of allocate your digital assets to other people, like your children. That's right. You can do that in a will, because you, in the same way as you might give one asset to one child and a different asset to another child, you may do the same with your digital mm. assets. Fascinating stuff. Well, listen, it's a real eye-opener, Melinda, so thank you very much indeed. If anyone wants to find anything else out about it, can they contact anywhere in particular? Um, well, they can contact any solicitor who practices in the making of wills and probate. Um, as, as you introduced me, I'm a member of the Law Society Council, so the Wills and Equity Committee are doing a lot of policy work on this particular issue. OK, fascinating stuff. Melinda, thanks very much indeed. Melinda Giles from the Council and Wills Equity Committee at Law Society. Who knew uh, that if you didn't actually put it into your will, that whoever wants to have access to your pictures can't actually get access. It's not something that many of you would think about, but if you know uh, about a case or you have tried to access something that you haven't been able to or you haven't been able to uh, to get into something that you think you should have been able to get into, uh, by all means, give us a call. Tell us your story. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got loads more coming up, including a visit out uh, to Japan, which is where Theresa May, the Prime Minister, is. Uh, she's meeting up with Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia, the Crown Prince, uh, who has been largely credited, if that's the right word, with certainly organising uh, the murder of uh, Mr Khashoggi, uh, the Washington Post journalist who was killed inside the uh, Saudi Arabian embassy in Turkey. Uh, and also she's meeting up with Vladimir Putin, which is the first time she's met him since the Novichok poisoning of Salisbury case. Uh, I'm not quite sure why she's bothering. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I don't care if Tuesday's grey and Wednesday too Thursday, I don't care about you It's Friday, I'm in love Monday, you can fall... Now,
you can tell that Con didn't choose this one because he's sitting here with me and we're going to do the Perio Awards very shortly. But before we do any of that, uh, let's go back to the phones because Ricky has been waiting patiently in Scotland for me. Ricky, very good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, mate. Good afternoon. We'll start with the pleasantries. Good afternoon. Well, it's always hey, good what? to start uh, where you mean to go on. Ah, we know we won't finish like that, but we're starting that way, I suppose, eh? <laughs> Whatever you say. What do you, what, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I am the customer, you know. Uh, no, yeah, well, you are not really. Points, but <laughs> in order to be a customer, you have to, part, you have to part with some money. <laughs> no, I'm Scottish. No, I'm sorry. I missed that one. Yeah, okay. So, Glastonbury. Yes. Two, two things I'd like to discuss, actually. First of all, Glastonbury is really just a very down market. Uh, Billy Butler holiday camp type thing. Only Billy Billy had the abilities and also to turn on a really good show. Yes. So you have the same thing with Glastonbury. And the threat you put on earlier of going down there and spreading yourself out in the grass, you just empty place. It's for young men like men and women like me. So I think you're way out of order with that one. Well I mean don't worry, you you can you don't have to travel quite as far as Glastonbury, you can just go to tea in the park. And and, and, and the, the the beautiful body count is not quite so high uh, because it's in Scotland. That's true. It's always raining, of course. <laughs> it's not really. The next point. Yes. Um, I want to... I'm with Susie here. Who are you going out to dine with tonight? Well, why is, why is it any of your business who I'm out to dine with tonight? It's Susie and I's business. We want to know. Well, I'm not telling you. It's as simple as well, that. You said, well, you said... What you, well, I'm grumping about the fact that Susie and I don't know who you're going out with. Well, we maybe, I'll, maybe I'll tell you on Monday. No, you won't. You won't. Okay. You're just leading us on. Uh, I'm not leading anybody on. That's but not what I do. It's your evening anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, thank you very much. But I'll be going somewhere very expensive, you can be assured of that. Uh, Ricky in Glasgow there. I don't know why everybody suddenly wants to know what I'm doing in my private life. What about Boris Johnson? If he's got a private life, I'm allowed to have one as well. Uh, just don't call the police on me, OK? Because I don't like it. Uh, it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's 12.36 and it is, of course, Friday, so uh, it's slightly in reverse order. Uh, we have the Perrier Awards with Mr. Con Mendez. A very good afternoon to you, Mr. Mendez. Good afternoon, How that's the right. devil are you? Um, I'm on good cheers, how are you? Are you? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. well, thanks, yeah. So, well, I wish I was at Glastonbury, but... Uh, I wish you were here, as well. <laughs> but never mind, fine. you're here instead. Yes, it's, <laughs> it is time for the moaning to stop because it's time for the Perrier Awards. Uh, this is where we go back over the past week of the so-called so cool. Independent Republic of Mike Graham yes. and choose our favourite moments it's mm. been another great week for the republic it has been uh, a good week yeah we've had uh, ross's interview with boris yes uh we've as i said glastonbury we've been down there a couple times and we've also had lots of ni new nice callers we have well. we do like those as so well don't thanks we? very much yeah, and everyone. some nice old callers as well yeah i don't of mean course. in the age bracket i just mean you know like susan coming back yeah oh yeah from the dead very nice yes um uh, but enough of that. Let's yeah. begin. Have I uh, won the first one? Uh, well, uh, yes, but pretty much it is tradition for you to uh, win the first Perry Award. Today is no different. Mike, you win the award for the most obvious statement. Abba tribute band Bjorn again at 11 o'clock. Oh, they're very good, actually. I'd, I'd, go for, I'd go for a bit of that. That's very, they're, they're remarkably um, similar to Abba. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Abba tribute band. What I band. meant was they actually sound like them, completely like them. I mean, yeah, I've seen yeah. them and they, you, know, you would think it was Abba. It's not like when you go and see some really bad tribute band who sound nothing like 
Would you prefer, though, go and see a bad tribute band or a good tribute band? I think a good one. Oh, okay. I, I do prefer the sort of you terrible, the yeah, just watching it. Well, oh. yeah, but not if you've paid, though. Yeah, I guess. 250 notes to get to Glastonbury to hear a bad mm. ABBA tribute band. Oh, I'd still do it. Uh, first time caller Janice in Faversham now. Mm. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, she managed to pick up a pair along her way uh, for the most wildly incorrect estimate. The elderly in the country and the National Health Service um, that's causing more yeah. problems. Right, now, I, I don't know how old you are, Mike, and you sound in your 40s. But... <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take that all day. <laughs> it's not that far off. Wildly mm. incorrect. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Pat and Stepney now. He wins Biologist of the Week for his knowledge about the birds and the bees. I decided I'll fancy 12 weeks off. Yeah. Have a word with a missus, we'll have a baby. I'll get 12 weeks off. We'll have a word with her, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was kind of obvious, but, you know. Yeah, it's enjoyed it's a family it. family show. Uh, it's the Mystic Meg Award now uh, for Foresight. That goes to John Rental, who was the last guest before our exclusive interview with Boris Johnson. Well, wait till you hear him on talk radio coming up at 11 o'clock, John, and then you can make a decision. But what well, about that, this, sure, right? That, that will be the, the interview. To, to, it to, will. To... And it My was. God, yeah. It how, really how was. How clever is he? We must get him back on. Yeah, we should. Uh, let's go back to Callers Vernon in Worcester. He wins the Perry Award, uh, which I really wish didn't existed. It's Ego Inflator of the Week. Make it as good as you can. Create as much as you can for your children. Give them as many opportunities as you can. Don't expect politicians to solve everything for you. You're absolutely 100% correct, as always, Mike. We can't say fairer than that. A very fair man. <laughs> um, Mike in York, uh, he wins the Perry Award for the most unlikely conspiracy theory of the week. But the Chinese play for the long game. Is his wife a plant from Chinese government? Uh, very unlikely, I think I'd say to that. <laughs> Jeremy Hunt's wife, that, that is. I did not expect, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? <laughs> yeah. You can imagine some mad professor somewhere in a Beijing lab laboratory creating yeah. a woman who could then go and marry the guy who might become the Prime <laughs> Minister of Britain about 45 years later. Yeah. It's good effort. That's likely. If it, if it is true, it's a good effort and I, I respect them for it. Exactly. But, um, now we move on to the Times foreign editor, Roland Watson, mm. a former colleague of, colleague of yours from Fleet Street. Uh, he shared a story which unfortunately had an explicit ending, meaning we had to press the dump button, which means we can't get to oh, I thought that was an OK it. word, actually. Well, the good news is, mm. uh, with a bit of help from our showbiz editor, Johnny Seifert, we can now share this story. Ah. Uh, it's been made broadcastable. So here is the story of the week one by Roland Watson of The Times. I remember soon after joining The Express as a, as a young green political correspondent, yeah. Um, I w was sent on a on a day long uh, jolly uh, with Tony Blair, who I think was probably then the opposition leader. Right. It was a very important um, uh, engagement, um, and I, on my debut trip abroad for the Express, um, assumed that I would have most of the day, if not all of the day, to uh, compile an award winning report. Yes, and, and soak it. up the local atmosphere. Uh, indeed. Um, anyway, it transpired when I eventually rang the desk um, uh, late afternoon that that was, that was wrong. Right. Um, and you gave me a fearful telling off for failing to <laughs> ring in and update you on the hour every hour as to what was going well, on. That's certainly true. I did give him a fearful telling off. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. that. Uh, almost certain to the note. Um, well, let's go back to you, Mike. You'll be glad to hear that you've won the Perry Award for funniest comment of the week. Brilliant. It does seem a 
bit of a shame that they can't just let bygones be bygones when there are such big things going on in the world. Well, I mean, it does seem like a very treacherous and backstabbing sort of uh, arena. Thank goodness radio's not like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it isn't, is it? Not on this show, anyway. (laughs) Not at all. We all get along. We do. Wonderfully. Uh, Most of the time. (laughs) Another one for you. Always a minefield in 2019, this topic, but I'm afraid, Mike, you have won the perrier for gender confusion. Ah, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand is the number. We'll be talking to LaDonna Harvey soon. Uh, She's our man, uh, she's our woman, rather, in uh, in San Diego. Uh, K-O-G-O is the name of the radio station she works for. Uh, She won't mind me saying she's our man in San Diego. It's a kind of a figure of speech. It doesn't mean she's a man, does it? It means she's a woman. But you can be gender fluid these days, you know, for sake. It's true. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's like our man in Havana, you know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, uh, We're never going to, we were never going to forget this moment. Robert in Dulwich wins both the wrong namer and most obvious Perrier moment of the week. Uh, Let's talk to Robert in Dulwich instead. Hello, Robert. Hello, James. (laughs) You know know how... You just call um, me James. Oh, sorry, because you just said... Oh, Mike, I'm so sorry. I mean, you're going to find yourself in the Perrier Awards. <laughs> I mean, like, just because I said James, it gives yeah. him an excuse to call me James. What if I'd said another word? Would uh, he have said that? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, uh, no, when you do ring in, do concentrate. Another great moment now. On Wednesday, we were graced with uh, uh, James Cartledge, MP, in the studio, the oh, Tory. Yes. He took some of your calls and answered some of your questions. And Neil in Macclesfield didn't hold back. He wins the Perrier for Honesty of the Week. To be in the customs union but not in the EU is is a slightly daft policy. And what do you make of that answer, Neil? I wasn't really listening, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, the... That's fantastic. Not only are you listening to the radio, you're actually on the radio listening to an MP answering your question and still you're not listening. Tremendous. <laughs> you tuned out. Great brilliant. effort. Um, and finally, yes. our in trepid newsreader Rachel Jewell she wins the Perrier for new word of the week mm, yeah. a lucky Euro Millions winner in the UK has won 123 million pounds but has decided to remain anonymous it's the first <laughs> British win ever oh that's great but a brilliant one at the end well played uh, yeah that's it <laughs> decided to, can we hear that again so he's decided to remain what a lucky Euro Millions winner in the UK has won £123 million but has decided to remain anonymous since the third <laughs> biggest British win ever. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well played. Thank you very much indeed. Another award-winning Perrier Awards. Yes, there will be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. UK online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
and 365-day returns.